Hey everyone, Tom Salami here. Happy holidays and happy new year to you. This is going to be our last episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast for 2022, but we'll be back the first week in January. We have a great episode already lined up, great interview already completed. So today we're bringing in the entire editorial team to talk about the top 10 stories of 2022. We'll have, of course, my co-host, Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences here at Mass Device, we'll have Jim Hammerand. He's Managing Editor of Medical Design and Outsourcing. We will have Danielle Kirsch. She's our Senior Editor and works on a uh, variety of our publications, including Mass Device. We'll have Brian Bunce, our Pharma Editor, talking a bit about the, the pharma side of life. And finally, of course, Associate Editor Sean Hooley will be a major contributor to this conversation. So it's been a real pleasure to bring this podcast to you almost each and every week of 2022. Excited to uh, to bring you more in 2023, more Device Talks Weeklies, more Striker Talks, more Medtronic Talks, more Intuitive Talks, and more uh, other series. They'll be coming your way. I know I've been talking about this, but they are coming. So uh, make sure you do subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network so you don't miss one episode, you don't miss any of these critical insights. Finally, before we begin, uh, we'll be rolling out the agenda for Device Talks Boston in January 2023. We'll open for registration there as well. So keep an eye on devicetalks.com for information about that event. And we'll be starting season three of Device Talks Tuesday. So keep an eye on that as well. We already have a, a more than a couple of dozen episodes uh, scheduled, a lot of great sponsors lined up to tell their story. So uh, I'm excited to uh, to get started in the new year. But uh, thank you again for your support. It means a great deal to all of us here at WTWH Media, Device Talks and Mass Device and Medical Design and Outsourcing and our other publications. We really do appreciate your taking the time to uh, listen to our coverage and our insights and our interviews and uh, looking forward to uh, connecting with you even more in 2023. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the final episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. I'm here with our <laughs> entire team. We'll start with uh with our every week co-host, Chris Newmarker. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Doing well, Tom. Doing doing well. I feel really awake today after uh, shoveling snow and seven below temperatures. It's invigorating. So, someone called you out on LinkedIn for uh, talking about talking up Minnesota too much. Did you see that? Um, I did. I mean, <laughs> it's a great place. I mean, I, of course, I know. I, I know the person who did that's from New Zealand. You know, which I which I have not visited, but I. It, looks like an awesome place i definitely um I, I will be happy to talk up new zealand someday if uh, when i when i make it out there yeah i think you know maybe he'd be willing to host you and you can uh you can co- contrast and compare and we could we can report back on the podcast how's that sound there you go i mean new zealand probably cold parts of new zealand at least cold and um in our summertime i mean they're down southern hemisphere so yeah and they have hobbits and orcs so yes yeah. there you go we could yeah. It'd be great to have our first orc on Device Talks Weekly. <laughs> well, we... <laughs> the eye of Sauron is upon you. <laughs> 
Nerd alert. We have yeah, our entire sorry, editorial sorry. team here today. I'll We're put my do... wizard hat away. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do our year-end wrap-up. Uh, I'll, I'll start on my on my far right on the Zoom screen. We have uh, senior editor Daniel Kirsch. Daniel, hello. Hey, Tom. Glad to be here. Glad to have you back. It has been a little while. Uh, we were getting an update before we push record on uh, the amount of wildlife in your backyard. How is uh, that the scene for us, Danielle? What what are we dealing with now? The Barry the Barry the groundhog has has moved on to. Uh, I was going to say greener pastures, but they live underground. So browner <laughs> holes. I don't know where they go, but uh, what's going on? Uh, yeah, the, my backyard is now we. We call my backyard Critter Corner just because I've got a couple of possums now. There's a raccoon. I've had a skunk for a while. Two skunks. Oof. Don't ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> you just smell them? <laughs> I pulled into my driveway one day and there was one just in the middle of my yard and I was scared to get out of my car because I wow. thought it was going to, because I would Smart have to move. walk. Yeah, I thought I was going to have to walk past it to get to my door. But uh, yeah, we got Randy the possum, and then there's another possum uh, aptly named Sandy, Randy and Sandy. You have a Noah's Ark <laughs> situation going on there. You realize? Yeah. It. You, are you are you preparing for some uh, some global apocalypse by <laughs> gathering all these animals? <laughs> I'm I just I'm just naming them the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh-huh. And we have, I'll, I'll move, I've already said hi to Chris Newmarket, Jim Hammer, Managing Editor of MDO. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, hey there, Tom. Thanks for having me. Always good to be here. You've got more snow or as much snow, I think, than uh, Chris Newmarket out there in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, no, it's funny. I moved here after 13 Minnesota winters, and they all said, no snow. I even left my uh, the scraper and the brush in my car. I threw it away when I was driving. <laughs> I realized my mistake in the mountains of Wyoming, of course, where I was uh, using a, on the drive out using a T-shirt to wipe off all the snow that had accumulated. But yeah, we're snowed in here. Like uh, 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 We got some ice storms on the way, too, so I might might have some, might lose some power here, but uh, hoping for a, a white Christmas, probably frozen over Christmas here, too. Still, it's fun to get the kids out there. You know, we got the top there we got the one-year-old uh the toddler just loves sliding around in the car on the ice she says go faster go faster <laughs> like calm down ricky bobby it's all right we're gonna get there soon enough that's right and, uh, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there safe but they're all having a good time and it's you know treasuring these moments well that's great no it's uh, it's less fun when they like driving in the snow when they're 16 so uh so enjoy those times <laughs> while you have it but uh and we've got uh, associate editor sean hooley sean welcome back Thank you for having me. No snow or wildlife to report on here in <laughs> Somerville, Massachusetts. But Sean does have a string of very sad, unlit Christmas lights behind him that he refuses uh, to illuminate. They go on reason. at night. <laughs> Come on, man. We got to we got to get this party started. All right, fine. Leave him on. Are you still feeling a glow from the World Cup final, Sean? Uh, it's worn off a little bit. And considering I have no real allegiance to Argentina, uh, uh, it's uh, not really my victory. But I did, I did enjoy it a lot. It was a nice, it was a really good nice game. cap to the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was from Argentina, and I did not get to watch the game, but I did see the highlights. Uh, so he's he's happy wherever he is. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, good to have you back, Sean. And finally, we have Brian Bunce, our, our farm editor. Brian, welcome. Been a little while to have since you've been on. It's great being back. Thanks for having me. How much snow do you have in San Francisco, Oh, Brian? it's really chilly this morning. I went jogging. I think it was in the high 40s. Oh, rough, rough, man. I, I think it's in the 50s now. I'm, I'm shivering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they do Scarable. get wildfires, so, you know. Yeah, and quakes, yeah. They have and like a quakes. Staff. But we know 
to we're here for the you know the i mean you know it's it's the holiday season and it's time to do the the new markers newsmakers of 2022 that's right so chris 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 has to- chosen his top five, the top five articles or, or stories of the year, and uh, each of us is, uh, has put on our our, our our little new markers newsmakers hat and come up with one of our own. So we're going to work through Chris's. Chris will give one. Danielle will give one. Chris will give one. Jim will give one, and we'll go through the uh, the entire list until we have our ten top news items of the year. And uh, excited to uh, to find out what everyone's uh, everyone's focusing on. So, Chris, without any further delay, let's get our our new markers newsmakers going. What's number five number- or number ten? Let's say what's number here ten. We go. We'll say number number ten yeah. here. Number ten would be uh, you know Medtronic is is rolling along with plans to divest some of its uh, of their business units, and this has actually become a big big story on mass devices here, especially after uh, Bloomberg reported that. You know, they had sources saying that there's interest from Siemens Health and Ears and G Healthcare potentially in uh, buying some of these businesses. It's uh, starting out with the uh, company's patient monitoring and respiratory interventions businesses. It's, uh, those are the two that they're uh, planning to spin out for now. And there's also plans to start a uh, kidney care business with uh, with DeVita. Yeah, and there, there was talk of uh, bigger spinouts as well from Medtronic, or at least there was speculation about their diabetes business and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, that was that never came. Yeah, to pass. they seem to be saying that they're going to stick with diabetes for now. So, and you know, and uh, I, I know Jeff, uh, their CEO Jeff Martha, and their most recent earnings call was, uh, you know, saying that uh, you know they're moving along with uh, warning letters with uh, with FDA. Mm-hmm. And they've got their their new uh, new di- head of diabetes, uh, Q Delara, who uh, actually comes to Medtronic. I think from was it Oracle? No, where did she? Where was she previously? But they yeah. they're definitely taking a different tact with with Medtronic. I'm sorry, with diabetes, and that they wanted to sort of be like the Apple of the diabetes business. So uh, they certainly have doubled down in that space. No, it was interesting from my perspective that uh, obviously when some analysts suggested it was going to be diabetes, uh, I've been keeping my ear close to the ground to see you know what might come of that. But uh, it seems like they're going in a different direction, and uh, I'm now very intrigued by, as you mentioned, what they're going to do with that business because it seems like they, they got to resolve that letter first and then uh, see what happens. Absolutely. I think they're making progress on that, and I'm going on the LinkedIn machine. And Q Delara was with Honeywell prior to joining Medtronic. She was president and CEO of Honeywell Connected Enterprise. You know, it's definitely a space where they want to be, you know, more competitive. So, I mean, they've they've had some, you know, criticism from analysts asking if they could execute and, you know, really, uh, you know, make make good on some of their plans. Um, but, you know, they definitely this year seem to have, you know, set themselves up for some, you know, good stuff in the, the future. So, well, it'll be, it'll be neat to watch. Yeah, there, there was talk. Uh, you know, frankly, Tom, you know, it hasn't just been Medtronic that's divesting and doing, you know, you know, spin outs. It seems to be happening everywhere. I mean, you know, we, uh, you know, we already had like the, uh, you know, the spin out of uh, of Zimmer Biomet's, you know, spine and dental business, you know, Zimvi. Um, you know, we've had, uh, you know, we, we've, you know, had, uh, you know, 3M Healthcare is going to become an independent company. Um, GE Healthcare is becoming an independent company. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, and then, you know, there's, uh, you know, BD. Uh, spinning out its diabetes business and back I mean, Sean, you got some. You actually, you were just writing about their uh, financials just the uh, the other day. 
Yeah, it was, it was good timing that their earnings came out right before this call. But uh, it's it's an interesting company to watch because they've obviously got the built-in experience of being BD's diabetes business for however many years and now operating on their own. They're trying to sort of break through and move towards well, they're developing a new uh, patch pump for type 2 diabetes. But analysts are still kind of unsure uh, which way to move on them because they haven't really gotten any updates. And it's been, I guess, nine months since it's been out. Spin out. I think it was April that it officially became a standalone yeah. company. So it, it's, you know, it's I, I guess it's still early going, but it'll be interesting to see if they come out with any anything beyond the fact that it's it's got breakthrough device designation from the FDA. Yeah, the analysts definitely seem to have a wait and see approach with them. There's been several spinoffs in pharma too, like this year. Um, GSK spun out Halion for $36 billion to make toothpaste and over-the-counter kind of drugs. So it's been a, a big theme in pharma as well over the years. I always love how in the pharma space, like, like you know, deals that we consider huge in medtech are like minuscule by, uh, you know, pharma proportions. It's just like, like, oh, there's just a $38 billion spinoff there. It's just like, you know. There was also that that spin out last year with um involved Pfizer with this company Viatris. That's a, a big kind of like generics company. Um, Pfizer had a division called Upjohn that was part of that. Interesting stuff. Yeah, no, I'm not not sure. And then, of course, we're seeing Johnson and Johnson sort of separating from its consumer business and becoming Johnson and Johnson MedTech. So it's definitely a, a rearranging of uh, of the furniture in the uh, life sciences space. <laughs> We'll see where uh, if this continues in uh, in 2023. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to number nine, Danielle. You're you're taking this one. What is uh, number nine in our uh, news of 2022? I chose diversity in med tech being one of the top news items of the year. Um, I did a lot of analysis of the top 100 medical device companies in the world of their C. C-suites and found that just 23% of the top executives at those companies are women. Um, and that number was up two percentage points from two, 2021. But throughout the data, I found that in the last three years, women in med tech have had huge accomplishments. Um, simply within the top 100 companies, there were 50 new C-suite appointments this year in 2022. And in 2020, there were 37 new appointments. And then in 2021, there were 34. So within the last three years, women have moved into 121 new roles. So it's it's certainly a big jump from when I first did this analysis, when just 18% of executives were women. So it's always year after year interesting to see um, just how much more the industry is focusing on DEI. Absolutely. So those are all executive positions. You're not just looking at C-level or C-level. Right. This is all from the management pages, the executive leadership pages of all of the uh, medical device companies, as well as their LinkedIn pages. Um, this year, I also took a look at the number of years each uh, executive has been in that yeah. role, and the average was two years. So it's it was interesting and and um there were a few companies that didn't have women CEOs in the past and one notable company was Ambu but this year they announced that they appointed um a new CEO who was a woman so that some companies are showing this big push to diversify their board which through many conversations i've learned just 
I mean, it's obvious. The more diverse your board is, the more diverse your leadership is, the more diverse your ideas are, and the more you'll be able to address these unmet needs of these diverse populations that you wouldn't otherwise think of if you didn't have those ideas out there. Yeah, I'm looking at, and I'd forgotten about Ambu. Thank you for reminding me, the CEO, and I, I looked up her name, Britt Milby Jensen. Um, and I'd forgotten about that appointment because just anecdotally, or at least looking at the article, I think, Sean, you wrote it a couple of weeks ago talking about the CEO changes uh, over the year in medtech. I don't think I saw any any pictures of women of the new CEOs that came in. I know we, and I don't mean to call it individual companies, but overall as an industry, I didn't feel like at the CEO level, I was seeing any sort of movement in that in that space. Uh, so maybe it's an unfair assessment, again, just observational and you know, not identifying any one company, but there's a lot of, I think, really great talent out there. Karen Parkhill at the CFO of, of Medtronic, Megan Scanlon at Boston Scientific. I mean, it would be great to see some uh, some folks who are maybe ready to take charge of a company be able to, to move in and, and lead some med techs as, as the organizer of a, of a, of a conference. Uh, it certainly would be great to, to have a deeper pool of, of interview subjects to draw from and to build better yeah. conferences and more representative conferences. I mean, it's thing like the covers of medical design outsourcing and I mean, just like the last two years, we've had some prominent med tech CFOs on the cover. So it'd be neat to see some of them, you know, become CEOs. That's right. I mean, Carlene Overton, uh, CFO of uh, Hologic, another one where you could imagine uh, moving up into the uh, corner office a uh, uh, short time. And to your point about there not being many women CEOs at some of the large large med tech companies, um, in, in the same analysis, I, I found that there were only six companies that have women as CEOs. So out of 100, mm-hmm. I mean, that's easy math that I can do. That's six six. Six percent, six percent of medtech companies have women CEOs. But even at those companies, they still half of them are hold below average C-suite positions. Women hold below average C-suite positions. So, for example, not to bring up Ambu again, but they didn't have any women in their executive suite last year for our analysis. And this year, you know, mm. now they're fifty percent, fifty percent women in top office because they have a CEO now. Wow, wow. That is interesting how that, that you know, just bringing in someone who has a different network than your typical CEO can, can really uh, diversify an executive team as well. And I guess I'm thinking now of, we recently are reported on um, Virginia's medical mm-hmm. care. It's going to have Carla Cruitt as CEO. Uh, that didn't work out for whatever reason, but they brought in someone from within whose name I should have. Helen, Helen Giza. Thank you, Helen Giza. And she's CEO. So, uh, you know, good for them for 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 elevating from within and 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 giving the position to uh, to a woman. And yeah, I think as an industry, I think we can do a lot better. Oh, oh yeah, we can for sure do better. And and in in the article, the analysis that I posted, you can also just see that the the breakdown of the roles that women hold within the within the industry, and the majority of that is human resources. So, I mean, it goes mm-hmm. beyond positions like that so i mean let's get let's get some chief medical officers let's you know some ceos like you said or r&d r&d leaders things like that mm-hmm. absolutely no nope. the industry can do better and hopefully we'll see uh see things uh improve in 2023 amen all right we'll move on to number eight chris newmarker then let's go on to number eight on the uh the new new markers newsmakers. I didn't say new market news yeah. markers newsmakers no. last year. Should we should we use new markers newsmakers for this, or we just want to go with stories of the year? What do you? What's better for branding? 
New Markers Newsmakers 2022 Story of the Year edition. You know, all right, right. That, that'll that'll make a hell of a, a hell of a trucker's cap. We'll do that. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> what is number eight on the new New Markers Newsmakers 2022 edition? You know, our next you know big story of the year is uh, we've got the uh, billionaires and brain computer interfaces. You know, the uh, I mean, you know, we uh, <laughs> we got. You know, have you heard of Elon Musk? No, he's not. He's not that much in the news. I mean, you hardly hear about him. He's very reclusive. You know, but. Um, you know, uh, Elon's, you know, he's got his uh, brain-computer interface company, Neuralink, that has like some coin-sized brain-computer interface that you'd implant uh, in, inside the skull. And uh, he did a much-delayed uh, show-and-tell, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, where he uh, it was doing things like showing, uh, you know, monkeys playing Pong on a screen using a brain-computer interface. Um you know, just a, a week or so later, there was uh, a report from Reuters that they're actually, uh, I believe it was from Reuters, um, Reuters reporting that uh, they had sources saying there was actually a U.S. Uh, US Agriculture Department investigation into potential animal welfare <laughs> problems over there. But, you know, he's got that going on. But, you know, at the same time, you got Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, you know, investing in, um, you know, Synchron, um, which has this uh you know really interesting tech where it's a uh, bci that's delivered via catheter um you know jim you talked to them uh actually just you know uh earlier this year i mean what, what was your take on their technology yeah their director of neuroscience uh peter Yu, was uh, gracious enough to uh, explain the technology and uh i mean the idea that instead of you know drilling holes in the brain to place them you're going through uh you know through the jugular vein and placing it um they've had good results with uh longevity and keeping them placed there uh good success in uh safely placing them and it sounds like uh lower chances of infection so it's definitely uh definitely encouraging to see what's coming out there yeah. the money's following them and uh, I, i'm very excited to see uh see what comes from them uh, in this coming year yeah i mean it's a, i I think it's a really uh, neat idea because uh, we already have so much experience, like placing stents in t inside the vasculature at this point, and those you know type of devices can you know stay in people for a long, long time. Um, you know, and I know one of the biggest challenges with BCIs was you know having stuff that could be a long-term interface. So I mean, this this kind of seems this might be one answer to that that challenge, like that we could have something that's basically like a stent-like BCI that you have inside the uh, you know a uh, you know a blood vein inside inside the brain um it also mentioned that we uh you know blackrock neurotech's been active in the space for a long long time you know their utah array has been you know kind of a standard in uh in research and they had a next gen bci that they you know unveiled uh in november that i mean sean wrote about i mean gosh this thing was like it's neural it's called neural lace because it looks like a piece of lace and it's thinner than an eyelash and you know this is just like this really neat thin flexible electronics type of thing you could you know put uh you know you know you know use to interface with the brain i mean i, I think the variations between the different devices the ones we've gotten to see you know pictures or videos for and the different you know whether you are drilling a hole in the skull or putting it through the vasculature it seems like it it because it's it's such a young space, other than like you said, Black Rock has been around for so long. With its, I believe it's the Utah Array that's their long-standing device. Um, but yeah, it seems like it's fun to watch sort of this new space come to the fore because of all the different looks and different types of technologies, and you know, kind of watching it play out in real time to see which device or which method might 
work best. No, I think techno- the technology is certainly interesting and certainly could, could you could see it helping um, quadriplegics, folks who need help writing or, or unable to move their limbs. Where I, the compelling part of this story that I find, or the part I find most compelling is just having Elon Musk on one hand, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates on the other. Granted, there is investors, Musk is more, more engaged, but I have some concern about tech folks moving into med tech uh, just because their approaches can sometimes be different, particularly Elon Musk, who I think it was Business Insider. And I think the Reuters article mentioned it as well, that he was motivating the engineers to work faster by suggesting that they work as if they have bombs strapped to their heads and really putting pressure on them to make achievements. And while I'm sure everyone in medical devices works with some urgency in designing new products, safety and, and efficacy have to be paramount. And you can't just, with a medical device, try to break things like they did with Facebook. And I, and I think that's that's concerning. And, and, and kind of the bookend of that, for me at least, is I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that there were there was strict sentencing for Sonny Balwani and Elizabeth Holmes regarding Theranos, because this isn't cryptocurrency. You can learn, you can lose some, some money for people, and that's horrible enough. But if you're creating a, a test that's telling someone they have cancer when they don't, or telling people they don't have cancer when they do, that's there's no compensation for that. Uh, certainly, a court can come up with a dollar figure, but it's not going to make up for the loss of a life. So, uh, I, I I hope that those sentences serve as just a a warning shot across the bow of tech people who may come in here and think that they can just do things the way they've done it in other industries because I don't think it necessarily applies. I think fresh perspective is great, but uh, patient always comes first. Yeah, and I think it says something that, you know, the device companies we cover have very methodical processes for for designing and creating devices and you know and testing them out and you know you can't um can't can't play too fast and loose with that kind of stuff. Could you imagine what your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or your LinkedIn feed would look like if those if social media companies had to go through the kind of safety and efficacy uh, studies that the FDA does? Because we've seen right. real harm from on on girls um, and self image from Instagram. I mean, we certainly know how uh, you know a lot of these social media networks are engineered to drive engagement, but to do that through fear and anger and um, mm-hmm. you know w- would we be better off without them? So you kind of get to that that mission. What's the mission? Are, are they trying to sell ads? You come to medtech where you really do feel that there's a mission to improving patients lives yeah and you're making money along the way but um you know people are in it for the right reasons i think that's a big differentiator and uh, i don't know if that's uh the kind of thing that you can just uh jump from uh from tech to medtech and make that switch all right well well great great point jim great discussion and, and great item chris uh jim i believe you are uh delivering new markers newsmakers 2022 number seven Number seven. So the uh, the supply chain challenge. I mean, maybe you call it chaos, but that was definitely the top story of 2022. Certainly over medical design outsourcing. Um, you know, I was really hoping we would leave this story back in 2021 when it first really hit us. Uh, you know, the Texas freeze, taking the semiconductor fabs offline, uh, hitting the petrochemical plants down in the Gulf, and having all those plastic shortages. But uh, really became clear early on this year that we wouldn't be so lucky to leave that uh, back there. So still, the biggest issues are semiconductors and resins. Uh, everybody's been dealing with it. You even heard uh, Medtronic uh, talking about how they literally had an explosion in their supply chain uh, on the packaging side. 
side. I remember listening to that earnings call and wondering if uh, if Jeff Martha was uh, perhaps being metaphorical when he said uh, there was a, an explosion in the supply chain, but it really was a, a blast at a plant. And so it's a huge topic in all the meetings we have, you know, uh, whether we're conducting interviews or we're out at our own shows, device talks, out at conferences, meeting with suppliers, meeting with uh, manufacturers, uh, and everyone wants to know it. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Because it's just such a huge burden to scramble and deal with all these decommits and the production's lines at a standstill. So semiconductors, you know, still in short supply everywhere. Um, Though some device makers have reported success in getting their orders prioritized because, you know, they're relatively low volume, but high impact. It's easy to say, hey, our chips are saving lives. Can you maybe bump us up to the top of the line? And then, you know, uh, we've got new chip fabrication plants in the works in the U.S. and abroad coming online as soon as next year. So hopefully there will be a little bit of relief, but uh, the big buyers like the automakers are saying expect, uh, expect there still to be shortages through 2023. And then on the resin side, you know, I was just talking to the plastics molder who says things are getting better for plastics, but prices still have ways to fall on the specialty resins for medical, like nylon six. So, you know, that's a concern. Um, but again, hopefully things will be getting a little bit better. So what are people doing? You know, we've been hearing, uh, Tom, you had some interviews um, from the big OEMs like Medtronic, Boston Scientific, and they're saying they're moving toward fewer suppliers, but deeper, more strategic relationships. So, I mean, that's going to be a big trend that continues even if uh, these shortages uh, alleviate uh, suddenly or at some time over 2023. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a speculator and I'm not putting money on it, but I certainly wouldn't uh, bet on a surprise uh, and satisfactory conclusion to these shortages. No, that's certainly an important one. And I think on the flip side, in response to the OEMs looking to create deeper relationships with fewer entities, you're seeing a lot of consolidation on the supplier side where these suppliers want to be one-stop shopping for the OEM. So we're seeing companies just consolidate on their own. We're seeing even more private equity uh, investing going on and roll-ups going on. So this is uh, certainly a dynamic that I think is going to uh, reverberate into uh, into 2023. So uh, certainly an important one. Brian, are you seeing things on the pharma side, similar things on the pharma side? It's a big issue in pharma as well. There's even several pretty high profile drug shortages, including amoxicillin, like the popular antibiotic, Adderall, T- Tamiflu, which like the government just opened up like um, supplies from the stockpile for that, but some pretty significant drug shortages and also broader um, supply chain issues with ingredients. I tell you, the uh, infant and children's Tylenol and Motrin has been real hard to come by lately. I don't know if it's because here in Seattle, we're so close to the border. Canada had huge shortages when they had their uh, their COVID weight, so their people were crossing the border driving clean out our, our shelves. Um, and I know um, uh, I was lucky enough to stock up, but every time I'm in the pharmacy, even this morning, you know, picking up some last minute stocking stuffers before the storm hits, I checked out the shelves and it, it, it wasn't good. And, uh, um, you know, Brian, some of that is, is regulated by the DEA, right? Where they actually set quotas on things like Adderall at, as an upper limit on how much can be produced. Yes, exactly right. So for Adderall, there is like a limit to schedule two drug, I believe, which means that it has medical potential, but it has also like um, abuse liability. So DA sets limits on how much can be produced each year. And then you have like this uptick in telehealth prescribing of Adderall, which has been controversial. I think that's decreasing, but there's been this surge in demand for Adderall during the pandemic. And then like an incremental increase only from DA and how much you can produce. So maybe that will persist into next year, the Adderall shortage, but it's been pretty significant for a lot of patients some of whom have narcolepsy, not just ADHD, 
who can like <laughs> potentially fall asleep while driving if they don't have their beds. So it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> That's interesting about the telemedicine and prescribing. I wasn't aware of that. Adderall definitely is not something that should be handed out like ibuprofen. Evidently, it's quite common on campuses, Adderall for studying. Jim and I were following a story. Uh, so it might have been in the beginning of the year. I don't remember which telehealth company it was, but there was one that, you know, you just you just have your appointment online and they diagnose you with ADHD within the hour. And that's not how wow. ADHD diagnosis actually happens. Like for ADHD, you have to go to a psychologist, you have to fill out like a six page survey and like sit in the office with a psychologist for four hours and then get referred to a psychiatrist who like doubles down on that diagnosis and then prescribes you the medication. It's like a months long process, but this telehealth is doing it within within a day and that's kind of what also contributed to the shortages of Adderall and I know at least where I live the Cleveland Clinic number 2 hospital in the country um yeah. they only have <laughs> just got to throw it out there got to throw it out there cuz I know Chris is by Mayo Clinic yeah, so you know we have that kind of, we have that battle one. going on yeah all right all right separate <laughs> separate break it up you no, two no but I I know Cleveland Clinic only Cleveland Clinic only has one doctor that prescribes Adderall out of the, in the entire ecosystem. There's only one doctor that prescribes Adderall and only one doctor that diagnoses ADHD as well. And he's, he's also the child psychologist. So if you're an adult trying to get an ADHD diagnosis, you're going to a child psychologist. It's interesting what the telehealth and just scheduling Adderall as, uh, like Brian said, a, a drug that's likely to be abused is how it's really affected everything. Mm -hmm. I, I think the company was Cerebral. Another one's called Dunn. Yeah, I, I believe both of them are under federal investigation for ha handing out cerebral. Adderall too frequently. Yep. Yeah, it was Cerebral. That's correct. Jim, have you or anyone? I, I, I've been thinking about this lately with the uh, COVID restrictions being lifted in China and the impact they maybe have might have on people's ability to get to work. I mean, not not that they were getting there necessarily before with the lockdowns, but has there been any discussion? Has anyone heard about what uh, a a a a rise in COVID cases in China what impact that might have on on supply chain? It's not good, Tom. Not good. I mean, you've got uh, what China, U.S., and India are the top uh, manufacturers of ingredients for pharmaceuticals. Uh, obviously, uh, gigantic manufacturers for uh, outsourced uh, components and devices, uh, medical device. Um, and yeah, we've got, uh, you know, um, a lagging booster strategy apparently in China. Um, the original uh, series uh, maybe have lost their effectiveness. So, you know, when you've got potential for hundreds of millions of uh, COVID infections um, in a short span of time, there's definitely going to be disruptions. So, you know, I've heard people uh, advising uh, if you have critical medications, stock up as much as you can because uh, there may be further uh, interruptions. I mean, that's uh, yeah, it's it's not looking really good. It's in very early days. It's really hard to trust uh, the numbers that come out of China. But I mean, even here in the U.S., we're not really it's this long into the pandemic. We're still not uh, don't have a way where you can report case numbers and we don't really have a good handle on how uh, truly widespread the outbreaks are here. Um, so, you know, it's it's more of the same, but uh, uh, this this could be a, a really bad winter. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number six on the vaunted Newmarker's Newsmakers of 2022 list? You know, on a more cheerful note, um, I mean, the surgical robotics space was already hot as we headed into 2022. 
and it's it's just got more interesting this year. I mean, it's I mean, there's just so much going on. So many different companies, you know, trying you know different different approaches. I mean, I mean, I don't know, Tom, where do I begin? I mean, there's just so much. Pick one spot and just start there. How does that sound? Just pick a spot. <laughs> just plant the flag. Well. Um, but I mean, it's just this like really exciting space right now. I mean, intuitive and the soft tissue surgical robotics space has been, you know, pioneering this and doing this for decades. But now you got like, you know, really big companies like, uh, like Medtronic and, and J&J that are looking to compete against them in this. And you have some like really, um, exciting smaller companies like, uh, Stereotaxis and, you know, Vicarious Surgical that, you know, are in, in the process of, uh, moving forward with next gen robots right now like we'll, we'll be seeing more from them in the in the coming year um you know so i mean that's that's just the, the basic lay of the land but then i mean my goodness i mean everything from i mean you know, johnson johnson we're still really waiting to hear what's going to happen you know with the atava role robot they're going to roll out but then you know we had news in november that they're partnering with uh cmr surgical and you know, to sell its robots in, in, in Italy, France, Germany, and Brazil. I mean, they've got this like CS surgical ro- robot that's, you know, kind of like more more compact, very, you know, seems very versatile. So it'll be interesting to see what is J&J going to do more with uh, CMR, you know, through this uh, moon surgical. Oh my goodness, that was another really interesting idea. Instead of like having a, it's not really as much, it's not, instead of it replacing or like augmenting the surgeon, it's like, serving as like a robotic surgical assistant like backing up the surgeon in in the procedure and you know like kind of letting the surgeons do what they do um you know and they just uh recently got their uh, 510k clearance so like really 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 interesting company there as well but i mean what what stuck out to you tom oh i mean i think you've hit upon all all the interesting ones or many of the interesting ones but uh one thing that's that has stuck with me i read it a couple of weeks ago uh an mit professor ellen roach um, had this is obviously an early stage thing, but they had a, she had a robotic diaphragm that was basically would allow some. They've not testing it in humans yet, but just the idea now that maybe we're moving to a point where we'll have robot robotic elements within the body to help it function uh, is really really super fascinating. So it's and it's uh, we're looking wow. probably a decade or more down the road. But uh, to your point, I just feel like the surgical robotics field has hit such is getting such great traction that maybe we're able to kind of push forward to uh to what's next so looking forward to uh to seeing some some great advances in this space and a ton of money pouring in too i mean cmr surgical uh at the end of last year when all the deals and dollars were counted they ended up being the uh top vc funding recipient among all medtech companies in the world i think it brought in about 600 million so we tagged wow. it as one of the you know hottest startups to watch and that was before they even got into uh cahoots with j and j so um you know a lot of money in the space very exciting and yeah. um, you're talking about um uh, Ellen Roach, her lab was also, I believe, working on some actuators inside of implants, the idea that these things will uh, vibrate around and prevent um, um, uh, scar tissue from building around the implants so you can use them for uh, drug delivery. So uh, the robotics is, is so interesting. It's going to go so beyond surgical applications. Um, really just an exciting space to keep an eye on. And of course, you had profiled, uh, and is it Indiatics? Is that my saying Indiatics, right? yeah, that's Indiatics. right. Yep. 
That's the swallowable robot. Oh, yeah. And, Which, uh, luckily, is getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> I was recently <laughs> uh, uh, talking with our, the CEO. Um, and, um, yeah, they're making some progress. I'm hoping to uh, have a little bit of news to break on them around the beginning of the year. Can't say anything yet. Um, but uh, nice. really, um, really encouraging where they're going. Definitely one of the most fun. It was definitely one of the most, you know, one of the funnest uh, medical design outsourcing covers this year was, you know, him him on the cover, you know, getting ready to swallow his robot. So just just wonderful, really fun stuff. He did that at Burning Man, right? Yeah, the idea was that at some point when they were testing prototypes, he uh, uh, put one down the gut and uh, handed out controllers to uh, random folks on the out in the desert and uh, let them uh, swim around in his stomach. Rock and roll! Wow. Hey. Well, you know, and, and just like, I mean, that was kind of the neat thing. Like, like, meanwhile, like we still like intuitive, you know, and intuitive, I mean, they're so well known for their Da Vinci robots, but, you know, they've been making strides with their, uh, you know, ion robot, which is, you know, kind yep. of like this has this articulating catheter for, you know, currently like goes through pa- airway passages in the lungs for, you know, cancer biopsies, but, you know, they're starting to, you know, they, they, re- they, you know, uh, at uh, Device Talks West, I mean, Gary, mm-hmm. Gary Goddard was saying, hey, we, you know, we've obtained German regulatory approval, like to do a, you know, clinical study of using this for ablation. And I mean, and, you know, just kind of close it out, you know, talking about this. I mean, the other really good point he added Device Talks West, which I think anyone who wants to know about more about robotics should make it to Device Talks West uh, next October in, uh, in Santa Clara. But I mean, he was, uh, you know, saying he doesn't think surgical people are going to, the term surgical robotics he, he thought it was going to just go away eventually i mean he thought in a decade or so because he's you know it's just going to become a no-brainer like you're doing surgery you're going to have something robotic you know um involved like, with it like internet banking yeah we yeah. just all do our banking online exactly um but i think if people really want to know about surgical robotics they should also go to device talks boston which For is paired sure. with our healthcare robotics engineering forum yes which are both happening on on may 10th and 11th uh the cool thing about the ion i remember talking to uh for intuitive talks talking to the the engineer involved with that um was that you can guide this 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 uh this um tip through the torturous pathways of the outer lung where it gets really hard to to push through uh, a device and what was simple, but kind of hadn't really occurred to me was that you can stop the robot will kind of hold it in place. If you're, if you're using it manually, you really can't let go. But if, if it's, if the robot's holding, if the robot's guiding it, the robot can stop and they can assess the situation and try to figure out a way to go here or there. So it just allows you to get out much further into the lung and ultimately wow. to take a biopsy to test material, but then they do want to get to the point where they can ablate the the uh, the concerning tissue as well. So, uh, no, we're, wow. we're d- definitely a lot of cool stuff going on. And also surgical robotics are one of the most interesting things to people who are outside of the medical device space, just like normal people. If you want to, if you want to blow their minds, just uh, tell them to go on YouTube and uh search they did surgery on a grape and what comes up is intuitive like 10 years ago using their da vinci robot to do literally surgery on a grape just removing the skin and it's just fun showing people that aren't in the medical device industry that this is what they were doing 10 years ago but now a company like vicarious is developing a surgical robot that can go in into your body and operate as um doctor's arms with you know articulating elbows and shoulders and all of that so it's just fun surgical robotics is fun great point 
All right. Well, I will take number five on our list of new markers, newsmakers. And uh, this is an obvious one, I think, but it's one that's going to be with us for a long yeah. time. Just that the pressures on healthcare systems, specifically the workforce issues and how uh, medical device companies are going to really need to uh, emphasize their uh, that their new devices save time, uh, require less less manpower or fewer nurses. And uh, Chris, you talked about Moon Surgical and their surgical assistant tool. I think that's going to be a, a, a big part of it. Uh, I talked with uh, Tom Poland, CEO of Beckton Dickinson yesterday. He'll be on the podcast in January. Uh, and a big part of their business is, uh, they say robotics, and it is a degree of robotics, but it's also automation for 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 pharmacies to, to alleviate the pharmacy shortage, uh, pharmacist shortage, automation for um uh, 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 testing in labs, making it easier to test more samples faster with fewer people. And I think, Sean, well, I know, Sean, you and I talked at uh, Device Talks West. We had our panel with uh, Nilesh Patel of uh, Boston Scientific. These were all CMOs, Farzad Azampour of uh, Edwards Life Sciences and Nick West of Abbott. And uh, they're all uh, in one way or another conversing with healthcare providers and with surgeons and they're coming back with the, these systems are, are under tremendous pressure from uh, from resignations and retirements, and uh, we're not seeing the replacement of that workforce yet. So, going forward, medical device companies are going to have to obviously prove efficacy, safety, and I think to win the business, they're going to have to demonstrate how they can streamline uh, streamline operations. So, that'll be continue to be a trend in 2023. Yeah, it's just a huge, it's just a huge opportunity for, you know, for the device industry. Like any time you have something that could, you know, potentially, uh, you know, make things more efficient, um, you know, enable health providers to do more with, you know, fewer people, which just seems to be a situation that, I mean, I don't, it's hard to see it going away. Like, you know, these, uh, these staffing shortages, you know, even if, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, we, we end up, you know, seeing something like a, like a recession just because so many, you know, baby boomers are, are retiring, um, you know, the population. I mean, gosh, I heard an expert on, you know, public radio just, you know, a few months ago talking about how, like, you know, the global population is actually going to start decreasing later in the century. Um, you know, so we we just need to do things more efficiently in healthcare, And, uh, you know, so, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's neat to see, uh, you know, MedTech stepping up and, you know, trying to, you know, come up with, you know, ways to help. So we had Andy Pierce on Stryker Talks recently. He's the head of uh, of MedSurge and Neurotechnology at Stryker, talking about their Neptone waste disposal, surgical waste disposal system, which is able to basically, it makes it easier to collect polyps that are removed from gastrointestinal procedures. And uh, just the way it's designed and the way it, it simplifies that process, the nurses are, are so enamored with it, making their lives that much easier that he says they they... When they, they see it at a clinical meeting, they like to come over and give it a hug because they love the Neptune so much. So, but again, it's an area where if you have fewer nurses sort of having to manage those difficult tasks and make their job, or at least just make their jobs more pleasant yeah. <laughs> and not have to deal with things like that, uh, that's certainly going to be a benefit. And and remaining with gastrointestinal, we had Giovanni DiNapoli, president of uh, gastrointestinal from Medtronic, talk at Device Talks West, talking about the use of yeah. AI that they have in their GI genius. And how that's you know basically double checking the work of of uh, of um, physicians performing colonoscopies to make sure that they're seeing all the polyps that they may see. He talked about how cases can be stacked, and again, it goes to over overburn healthcare system one after the other, and you're probably better off 
and I'm I'm definitely paraphrasing here, but it sounded as if to me he said you're almost better off having your procedure done in the morning because the later you go in the day, the longer they've right. been working at it, and maybe the way more things can be missed. And if I'm if I'm misstating what he said, I apologize. But that was my takeaway yeah. that again, medical devices have to come up with a way to to provide relief for overworked healthcare workers well, and the physicians. Well, the fact that this GI genius wasn't like saying this is a you know cancerous polyp, it's not doing that job for them. What's doing it? It's, it's you know having little boxes popping up saying hey look and look at what we're highlighting here in this box and check yep. it out you know and so that way they aren't you know they're they're hopefully catching more things that they need to examine when they're doing that procedure and yeah exactly i don't have to you know i'm i'm getting up toward the edge where uh, i'm gonna have to have that procedure in uh in coming years and yeah i definitely don't not as bad as they say don't worry right, about okay. it buddy You'll be it's okay. Just, it's just people. It's just people tell like war stories, basically. Or yeah, I mean, <laughs> she's trying to scare trying the to kids. Scare the kids. Like you don't know. But you know, yeah, exactly. When when I you know get that procedure someday, you know, I won't have to worry like what time of day it is or whether you know the doctor had too little or too much coffee or or whatever. You know, if you know if there's a computer program that's helping them, you know, to pinpoint stuff. You know, and they could hopefully you know catch stuff that uh, you know, could could otherwise uh, you know potentially kill me so it'd be good to get for them to catch that kind of stuff <laughs> we don't want to kill yeah Chris please don't for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bit of a programming note uh daniel kirsch our senior editor uh had a, a very important uh, uh uh thing she had to tend to so she has uh left the uh the call so if we don't go back to danielle for some of these upcoming points uh it's not because she doesn't have really smart things to say she just had to had to to uh, to go help people, which is really Very cool. Very cool. All right, Chris Chris Newmarker, let us roll it. What are we number? Wow, we're moving four? through it. Yes, we're at number four. Um, you know, number four on the list was uh, you know Johnson and Johnson buying Abiomed for sixteen point six billion dollars. Definitely one of the top um, M and A deals this year. I mean, there was like. Um, interestingly enough, we're talking on, you know, Thursday, you know, December, you know, 22nd, you know, and just today they closed the acquisition. This is a done deal. Um, I mean, there was a lot of talk as JJ got ready to, you know, spin off its uh, consumer business that they were going to want to do a major med tech acquisition to kind of like right size the med tech with the pharma part of their business. Um, there was, you know, some speculation that maybe it might be Boston Scientific. Um, but they uh, they went with with another Massachusetts company, uh, you know, base company uh, instead, Abiomed, which uh, you know has just this you know really um, really interesting you know technology, you know, kind of this you know cat- catheter delivered heart pumps, um, you know, they're being their major product, you know, just and you know kind of makes a lot of sense uh, for Johnson Johnson with their uh, you know BioSense Web Webster business to you know like. You know, like to to add the uh, the Abiumed technology onto their their portfolio, so just like a major deal in the space. Absolutely, and uh, as we talked with Celine Martin, uh, you talked with her at Device Talks West. I talked to her for uh, uh, Device Talks Weekly. Uh, she was excited that that Johnson and Johnson. She had she had previously led Cordis as it was being divested from Johnson and Johnson back in 2015. She was happy that Johnson and Johnson's moving back into the heart device space and uh hinted that maybe this is not going to be the only deal that johnson and johnson just a hint but but uh there could be more movement there so be keeping an eye on it 
No, but it, it was funny that uh, at the Advamed's MedTech conference, I think maybe only a week or two before they announced the intent to acquire uh, Ashley McAvoy, the president of Johnson Johnson MedTech, and Michael Minogue, the CEO of Abiumed, sat on a two-person <laughs> panel and chatted about you know the future of, of MedTech and the trends in MedTech. And I, you know, I got to work on my people reading skills because maybe I should have been able to understand better. That there was something going on. Uh, I don't know if there was anything going on, but I'm sure the plans had been in the works. But uh, it was an interesting conversation. It's funny that they're they're t- working together now. Or, well, Minogue is a uh, part of the succession plan, but the companies are joining forces. Yeah, if they if they have a tell, uh, they're they're probably they're good. They don't show it, so they're probably dangerous at a poker table. So just so just be careful. All right. Well, we will uh, shift our gaze over to the world of of pharma. Brian Bunts, our pharma editor. What's uh What's your news item of the year, your new markers, newsmaker of the year? I think in the second half of the year, you saw potentially big changes in how we treat depression. So as you know, like the way we treat depression nutritionally is somebody goes to the doctor, they say they're depressed, and they try an antidepressant for six to eight weeks to see if it works. They up the dose. If it doesn't work, they try something else. And they up it to the point that the side effects are tolerable, but <laughs> they're often not pleasant. You try again. Each time you switch, the the likelihood you'll see benefit lowers. So it's it's not really a very good paradigm. But in August, FDA approved like a, a quick acting antidepressant from this company called Axome Therapeutics, called Avelity, um, which is interesting because it's actually two existing drugs that are available. One of them is like the active component in Robitussin. Strangely enough, the other one is the active component in Wellbutrin. They have a proprietary formulation of them together. It works within a matter of weeks or a week even. So it's much faster. Um, in December, Biogen and Sage Therapeutics filed for approval for a neuroactive steroid for um, MDD, as well as for postpartum depression. Um, FDA approved an antipsychotic known as cryprazine as an adjunctive therapy for so MDD, which is major depressive disorder. So you would go to a doctor and then if it's not working, you could have this added on to your therapy and it based on a phase three clinical trial, it increases efficacy. And then also in December, FDA granted fast track designation to a nasal spray. That's a potential therapy for MDD. Um, then on top of all that, you have um, J&J got approval for esketamine back in 2019, which I think is still something of a niche product, but that's kind of like a alternative alternative to the uh, traditional kind of like infusion of ketamine that's gotten more popular too for um, depression, even though it's off-label. And you have a couple of different companies in that space. I think um, Sean's written about one of them, um, Bexham Biomedical, that's doing some studies on like a, a wearable device that would provide ketamine for, I think the first indication they're going after is going after is post-operative pain, but potentially also mental health conditions. There's another company called HNMC Brain Health that's looking at ketamine, um, a small dose, prolonged release for depression. And then you have like all these companies going after psychedelics. Um, Compass Pathways is in a phase three trial for psilocybin. Um, there's other companies as well. I think that's kind of like a immature market overall, but perhaps something will shake out in the coming years. So I, I guess the broader theme is that the theme that the field is really evolving potentially, and in a few years, the paradigm could change kind of dramatically away from that. Let's give you a drug for six to eight weeks, see if it works. If it doesn't, let's up the dose or give you a different medicine that may or may not help. 
Wow, that it could be great if they could have like more more effective treatments. So, so it's, it sounds like we got a chance that we could see you know much much better treatment of depression in coming years. It sounds that way. It seems like the field will evolve considerably in the coming years. Um, and the condition is really common. Like I have not seen stats about how the pandemic has affected it, um, but it, it seems like almost all psychiatrists agree that the pandemic has just increased the numbers. And I, I did see recently that one in five people in their lifetimes will get like MDD at some point in their lives. So it's really common. Yeah, it's millions of people in the U.S. across the world have MDD, like clinical depression. There's some potential on the device side this year um, as well for depression treatment, you know, going back to Synchron. They said one of the things that they're looking at uh, for the potential of diagnose and treat um, with the uh, that implantable technology is depression, which again, it's a, it's an invasive uh, procedure. But um, also there's some research that we wrote about MDO about using um, ultrasonic technology. The idea being that, you know, we already know that um, whole body exposure to high frequency ultrasound increases human brain activity. So they said, all right, let's look at rats. Rats love high frequency ultrasound vocalizations and let's see uh, how that works. And they found some promising uh, results and that's obviously a, a non-invasive uh, procedure. You're not uh, putting a brain implant in, but you're kind of uh, using ultrasound. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't, wouldn't maybe think of uh, devices of having as much potential, but there's a couple bright spots there. And we did see this year, Magnus Medical got 510K clearance from uh, the FDA for its Saint Neuromodulation System for the treatment of MDD, Major Depressive Disorder. Uh, it's a neuromodulation uh, device. Uh, so they had a, a FDA breakthrough path given to them last year, and they got approval to uh, to begin using it this year in, in September. So to uh, your point, there's there's work going on on the device side as well. It has been for a number of years, but it's such an important issue. It's nice to people have multiple options, uh, multiple options for relief. It's exciting. It really feels like Maybe people talk about 2022 is the year we really started to get moving on some better treatments for depression. So it's going to be really neat to see how that all plays out. Absolutely. And I think another exciting space we saw, Sean Hooley, why don't you uh, bring us in to number two on the new Marcus Newsmakers. A lot of progress here as well. Sure. Well, it's been an interesting year covering diabetes, and it's been nice to have this to share because it means that I had work to do and stuff to cover. But there's a multitude of different uh, FDA clearances, major regulatory wins for some of the big players in diabetes, including Dexcom's G7, which just happened a couple weeks ago. Insulet got uh, FDA approval for its Omnipod 5, Next Generation Pump, Abbott's Freestyle Libre 3 uh, in May, I believe it was, and Sensionics as well, which I initially had Dexcom, Insulet, and Abbott as my big three, but Sensionics, and I remember that the FDA cleared their 180-day uh CGM. So yeah, it's been a it's been a massive year for for all these diabetes technologies, and it's been really fun to watch uh, each of them. Sort of, you know, I I understand that CGM is sort of one thing, so it's interesting to see each of these companies coming forth with their own product and and why it's why it's different or why it's special. And and it's been a fun year in diabetes, and I'm imagining uh, it'll continue into 2023. We had Paul Grant of uh, CEO of the MedTech Innovator on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes uh, a few years ago. And he's an avid user, a recent user, but he's avidly a fan now of uh, Dexcom. Dexcom G6, you know, and he was very much G6, looking forward to you. the G7 rolling out, you know, because, yeah, I mean, he was he was saying the G6 was just fantastic for just like giving him a little. I mean, he, he said he wasn't didn't have to control his diabetes with insulin, you know, because of the fact that he could just get this 
um, you know, alert on his phone saying, you know, that, you know, he needed to, you know, basically go out and get a walk and uh, get his, you know, blood sugar back under under control. So, I mean, j- j- you know, just having that kind of real time access to real time information just is just wonderful. I tried one maybe two years ago. Yeah, you tried it. Yeah, you gave it a go. Yeah, like pop it on your belly and then like you get updates on your phone. <laughs> Fantastic. You can see if you have bread pudding that your blood sugar goes way up. <laughs> well, Paul's point, Paul's point at the end was that he he sees a day when that everyone's using one of those to just sort of monitor their blood sugar because it is it is a, a a significant enough health issue that if we had the ability, and maybe it gets transferred to our watches or something like that, and it's a little more little more approachable but uh but certainly be something to track i mean what sean how big is the the g7 sensor you know the latest dexcom that's like the size of um penny yeah i know abbott oh yeah we use the photo for abbott's freestyle libre is next to a penny but i believe g7 is is similarly sized it's small it's 60 percent smaller they say than the g6 um and yeah it's it's pretty impressive you know how how small they can make these you know really vital pieces of technology that you, you know, the idea now, you know, they've obviously developed them over time, but the idea now is you stick it on yeah. and you kind of forget about it until it tells you that you need to remember it. But uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. And, and I spoke with uh, Jake Leach, the chief operating officer of Dexcom last week, and he was, yeah, I asked him, you know, half hard, half jokingly, you know, what about G8? When's that coming? And he, he's like, hey, we're always mm-hmm. innovating. He says, we start working on the next one before the before the current one's out. So it's uh, it's always fun. They're going to keep moving and keep innovating. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at what both Abbott and Dexcom are doing. I mean, it's it just seems like the sensors are just getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, it could make sense. We could just get to the point where, like, yeah, that could be something that any of us could you know, if you're just, you know, someone who really wants to monitor your health, like it could be, uh, that could be really useful. What, what kind of stood out to me too, though, is like that it's not the most green technology, like the applicator that you have for the G6. You have a brand new one every time you use it and all those go in the trash. Like you can't recycle it. So I think for the G7, it's a similar applicator. So the device, it may be, it may be pretty small, but the applicator is not tiny. And if you have a fresh one for every time you put it on and that goes to the landfill for every patient, that's a pretty substantial amount of waste. Yeah, I, I wish I had the exact information. I know Leach actually mentioned on our call that the packaging is sixty-eight percent smaller or something like that. So it's it's they're making an effort to go greener. So I wonder if that will play into the future innovations. Makes a lot of sense. So Brian, as a as a as a you're 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 fairly fairly fitness minded fellow. Uh, did you find the the tracking of your 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 levels? helpful at all i mean uh, was it something you you wish you had access I to? i started jogging after I, I wore one and i'm still doing it because <laughs> it, show, <laughs> wow. it shows you i mean i think i was not pre-diabetic yeah but like it shows you like how much it goes up and definitely is informative wow that's fascinating it's, it kind of makes you like think differently about like maybe i shouldn't have that other whatever it is like beer piece of bread <laughs> whatever <laughs> You can see it. Oh, I want it. one. <laughs> You're like, holy heck. It's a good question is whether they may end up becoming a tool for the general population to start, you know, like like an Apple Watch has started to help people pay attention to their fitness. How a, a CGM could somehow keep people's diets in check. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, 
it could be something like like Brian did. You know, you wear yeah. it for a week and you just kind of have a benchmark and you're like, oh my god, like that that went up when I did this and it went down when I did that. I'm gonna do less of this and more of that. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting because yeah. there's things that you I didn't know, Lisa, as a non-expert in the space. Like you put it on, like and if you like sprint, your blood sugar goes way up, which I didn't know. But if you go for like a moderate walk, it goes down. So there's like a threshold hmm. where your like activity level causes it to go up. So it's stuff like that you learn just by having it on. Wow. So even the, even if it's just for a short period, you gain insights out of it. That's really cool. It sounds like a good opportunity for me. But all right. Great stuff, Sean Hooley. Chris Newmarker, you want to uh you want to drive it home with your big number one? Yeah. Yeah. Number one on the list this year. Um it's actually a really uh really tough story, actually, is uh you know, the um you know, massive recall of uh Phillips uh, respiratory devices that you know, started in in uh, 2021, but you know, just you know, the, the you know things things just seem to get just worse with it this year. Um, you know, kind of uh, you know, one of it's you know millions of involves millions of devices effectively pulled Phillips out of the respiratory devices market when it started in 2021. Um, you know, at, at this point, you know, we've had reports just, you know, mounting from FDA of, you know, at this point, our, you know, latest, latest tally from FDA is that they've received, uh, you know, um, you know, they've now received 90,000 reports of problems and, you know, and 260 of those reports, uh, mentioned oh deaths. So, uh, it's just, you know, it's, uh, it, it's certainly, if not the most serious recall, the industry seems definitely one of the most um, serious recalls. And I um, mean, you know, at this point, you know, Phillips is in, you know, consent decree talks with the uh, DOG, you know, FDA. They have a new uh, CEO, Roy Jacobs, who's, you know, publicly apologized, you know, over this recall, um, you know, and, uh, you know, he he actually was put in charge of managing the recall last year now he's you know running the whole company and uh you know but you know we still you know we had like uh you know just a, a story uh just you know last last month you know about how uh you know some of their you know some of the ventilators you know they said about like about uh you know three percent of you know these millions of devices that were coming about 165,000 of them they've been you know, they had been uh, reworked, but now there were new problems. So, like, they're reworking them and they're getting even more problems. So, um, you know, it, 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 it will, we'll see in the new year how this finally gets uh, gets resolved. Um, it, just today, um, you know, uh, actually, no, yesterday, you know, Sean had a, uh, you know, story about them, uh, you know, Phil's releasing a report saying that they were saying some tests with their DreamStation CPAPs were uh, – you know, showing that this degradation of the sound abatement foam that's behind the the major problem behind these recalls, like that it was showing unlikely harm to health. But then at the same time, you got all these reports with FDA. So I don't know. It's it's definitely a tough story. Have we seen anything bleeding over? I would have thought by this time there would have been maybe other problems emerging with other companies. I haven't seen that. Uh, I wonder on the apnea side, or are people going – just saying, forget about it. I'm not going to use a device because of all these problems. Is, does anyone know? In, we haven't really prepped for this part of the conversation, but I haven't heard ResMed saying they've been hit. I haven't inspired. It doesn't seem to be suffering from this. There seems to be. Well, you know, actually, no. ResMed, um, you know, ResMed has not had a recall like this. I mean, but they, I mean, in terms know, of interest in, in CPAP machines, I mean, it seems like people are 
still see the importance of the the condition and the and the need to to maintain it, well, manage it really but they're moving over the to other, other other devices to do so the other really tough aspect of the recall is that you know is that i mean obviously this would be a huge opportunity it is it's been a huge you know like chance for resmed to grab even more market share right. in the cpap space i mean people need this therapy um and uh you know they've they've it's it's been a challenge for resmed to increase its production amid supply chain you know constraints you know so you know it's so you've got you know people you know like who have been using philips cpaps who would really like to move over to something else and you know it's it's tough to get their hands on a you know a new a new cpap from from resmed and you know resmed's even you know tried to you know, like, uh, you know, they've, you know, moved toward, you know, more kind of like stripped down CPAPs with less electronics. But I mean, it's, it's just still been a big challenge, you know, and then, you know, actually Inspire, it's, you know, Inspire, it's been, a, you know, things have been, it's been very, it's been a very promising year for Inspire because they are this like alternative technology, like, oh, this neat implantable, you know, neurostem device that could treat your, your sleep apnea. So you know, maybe, you know, maybe down the road, this will be viewed as something that got a lot more people uh, interested in that type of therapy versus just doing CPAPs. No, I mean, it's uh, I'm wondering, I'm curious about the report I did yesterday, uh, just about the numbers, because they, they said that, you know, so much of the devices that seemingly cause so many problems all of a sudden, well, actually, they're not causing that much, you know, it's not appreciable harm, I think was the, the terminology. And uh, so I'm interested to see if those are maybe cherry-picked numbers or devices or or how how it shakes out from here because it's definitely for all the trouble it's caused for the company for them to release a statement saying well actually it doesn't seem that bad right now based on the tests we've done it's i'm not really sure where to look i definitely think they're they're seeking you know they're they're laying out a case and providing you know data to try you know to offer defense for themselves i'm i'm pretty sure when you know, when all, all the lawsuits really start coming down, I'm sure that study you wrote about Sean's going to be one of the things that Phillips is including in their, you know, defense briefs. Um, uh, all right. Well, that is certainly a legitimate number one story of the year. And uh, I'm sure it'll continue to make news in uh, in 2023 and beyond. So uh, with that, that is our, our top 10 newsmakers of the year. I think we, uh, Newmarkers Newsmakers of the Year of 2022. I think a uh, really great job. I think we've covered uh, a lot of different areas. We have a, a broad editorial team. You can find us all on LinkedIn. And uh, please connect with our uh, our Mass Device page on LinkedIn, our Mass Device group, our Device Talks group on LinkedIn, our, our Medical Design and Outsourcing group on LinkedIn. Overall, you've got to... Overall, you've got to... Am I going to do it this time? Sean, you do it. What is it? No, just I know what it is. I'll let I'll let Chris do it. Get a like, follow, subscribe. <laughs> like, follow. Come on, Sean. And or subscribe to our uh, our many LinkedIn pages. Uh, Sean, you do. Uh, what are your What are the the new sites that you're overseeing? Uh, I do a lot of work with Mass Device and Drug Delivery Business News mostly, but uh, you you might find my name all over the place. And 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 Brian, uh, what are the pharma publications you're putting out? Drug discovery and development in pharmaceutical processing world. Fantastic. And Jim Hammeran, we've got a, a special issue coming out in a couple of weeks. 
That's right. Our leadership edition uh, kicks off 2023. Um, you can uh, start review reading some of those stories uh, right now on our website, and uh, we'll have it all pulled together in uh, mid-January. All right, great. And uh, Chris Newmarker, since Danielle had to uh, had to leave, what are what is some of the pages she's overseeing? Yeah, you, know, you can find Danielle everywhere, but she especially has a, a focus on our medical tubing and extrusion site, our women in medtech uh, stories, and and MDO. So. So, you know, you can definitely catch your hair. And of course, I, I'm around everywhere as well, but I've been especially active lately on Mass Device. Great. So that's great. And uh, please do. I'm in charge of Device Talks, the podcast. We have uh, Intuitive Talks, Striker Talks, Medtronic Talks. Uh, we've got more coming out in 2023. So uh, make sure you subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network so you can have all of those except for Medtronic Talks sent directly to your listening device. Medtronic Talks has its own channel on every major podcast application. And uh, please do subscribe so you don't miss a future episode of any of our fantastic podcasts. And uh, please share this episode, which I think has a lot of cool insights and and observations in it on social media. And again, link to uh, any and all of us on on LinkedIn because we'd like to be part of those conversations. So, all right, folks, great job, everybody. And happy holidays, everybody, and catch you in 2023. We'll